1: His name was Morris Oberstein. He's like Irving Azoff, this guy. And then there's me. And we're going in to negotiate the record deal. Now, the problem was that the longer the lunch went on, the more drunk I got. And when I (laughs) left, I couldn't read my notes. (laughs) It was like, what? What? Huh? I can't understand. Oh, fuck it. I'll just wing it. So I go there and he's sitting there and I managed to negotiate the worst deal in the history <laughs>
2: of record deals. Hello and welcome to another episode of 2020. My name's Corey Pays. I'm here as always with Siobhan and Ben. How's it going, guys?
0: Oh, good. Excited about this. this. So, yeah, so we can just get to the fun stuff like this is. This is
2: her. There is some fun stuff. But before we get there, everyone, please like and subscribe to the podcast because, you know, you get notifications every time we release a new episode, which is twice a week, every Sunday and Wednesday night and they're all amazing. I promise you.
0: I want to say thank you to all the people out there that have texted me and continue to ask me when things are on or or, are surprised by our guests because they haven't subscribed and I'm like, they're amazed by the idea that you can actually subscribe but it makes me (laughs) feel good because now more people are actually caring. Like, so I guess the fact that people are too ignorant to subscribe, which is what I'm saying if you haven't yet, um, that they actually take the time to text me instead of just pressing the fucking button that tells you. Right.
2: Well, this, this week we have Some of the greatest like rock stories ever, and 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 this guy Steve Wood, our guest, his life is just rock and roll. Like it's a, it could be a movie. I'd watch it in a heartbeat.
3: Yeah, and of course it's nice to listen to. He's got a wonderful British accent, some amazing (laughs) stories coming from London, working in Paris. Just a super funny guy. I mean, I was laughing the whole time.
0: If you could chop him up and snort him, you'd have a really fucking good time. (laughs) This is Steve Wood, part one. You've been twenty (laughs) twenty. So, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Benny Goodman. Welcome to 2020, a show about, I don't know, I'm not really sure. I've watched and been a part of over 60 episodes, and I still don't know, other than my cohorts (laughs) in crime are here with me, Siobhan Cronin.
3: Hey, I feel like it's been a while, but here we are. I'm wondering what this show's about, too.
0: (laughs) Corey Paisa is probably like, it's not been long enough. (laughs) Hi, Corey. Uh, Hi, Ben. How are you? And and I'm so (laughs) proud, and I'm so happy, because... Just continuing in the people that are above our pay grade that are talking to us, um, uh, such an amazing uh, person in the music industry who has done so much. Um, He's our good friend, Paul Geary's business partner at uh, Global Orange Management, which I believe has merged with Shelter, which we will find out about. He has worked with everybody from Megadeth to Alice Cooper to Joe Perry to Johnny Depp. I can drop tons more names I know, but we'll it's let like him a talk huge about. Huge folder
3: it. of names. It's hard to keep but, track of. Yeah.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, and he's much cooler because he has a British accent.
3: Steve 1! Thank you
1: very much indeed. I, I, I must tell you this has made my day. I've been so excited and I'm really glad you you asked me. Thank you guys.
3: No, we're so Thank glad you that you're excited. I, 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 w-
1: I will say something uh, when when you came to me about this, I did some research. Because, you know, I mean, I just, this is what I do. It's what I've always done. And I started to look at how many people I'd worked with. And I didn't believe it. I mean, it <laughs> blew my mind. 64 bands or artists. 64. Wow. Uh, uh,
3: it's crazy. But it's true. Um it's a lot uh, of personalities to handle.
0: Our drummer Paul will be like, "That's nothing. I have three hundred more than you." <laughs> <laughs> no, literally, he's been in like a thousand bands. So well, that's, it's one thing
3: to be in a thousand
1: bands; well, it's another yeah. thing to manage them. And
0: I guarantee that every band that he's represented probably has done more than Paul's band. Sorry, Paul.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's, uh, and I look back. Um, I've been extremely fortunate that it just we. You know, I, I'll tell you this: when I was a little boy, I mean as early as I can remember, I remember seeing a black and white television and there was Elvis Presley on it. And I saw the guitars and, and, and I said, whatever that is, that's what I want. I, that's it. And when I was at school and I went to a school like Harry Potter, I swear to
0: God. So did your wine choose one. you? <laughs> <laughs> I was there <laughs> a big like uh, Third Reich bird sitting over your your classroom? Well, <laughs> it was all it was ex- very Harry Potter. My school
1: originally was created for the sons of the clergy. I oh, mean, wow. now they couldn't afford the uh, to pay the fees. It was private, and so what they did was they jacked up the price, lowered the entrance. <laughs> So people that weren't that smart, but could pay, got in like me. And uh, <laughs> that's, uh, how yeah, that's how politics works. That's how the world works. It, it was. And that's how I got <laughs> in. And um, I basically drew guitars in the margin of my exercise books almost every day. SG- oh, you say exercise, you mean
0: like at school? Because us, yeah, in, at school. us United States people. We don't um, call the, the exercise books. We don't exercise at all. We just eat. We call that what we have to do later and put off to procrastinate, okay. to not achieve anything.
1: Well, so. I will tell you some, some, I mean, so there I was, you know, it's, it was Harry Potter. No question. I was a boarder. I'd been boarding at school since I was eight years old because in England, children are seen and not heard. And I, my first school that I boarded in, We live two miles. I mean, what were my parents thinking? (laughs)
3: It's It's funny. I went to a boarding school too in in, uh, Michigan that was modeled after the British boarding schools. And it was similar there. You could live like five minutes away. Is that why you're smart?
0: Well, I have European
3: parents, so (laughs) they were like, oh, this American uh, school system is garbage. Yeah, is that why you're (laughs) smart? (laughs) Well, that may have
1: something to, but no, (laughs) no. But here's the thing. I went through the system and, you know, I I couldn't give a shit about about school. I really didn't, but I had to do it. And the minute I left school, all I wanted to do was be in rock, but I didn't know how to do that. And so the next best thing I thought was fashion because I thought, well, that's cool. You know, and it was like 1972 or something. So I thought, well, that's pretty rock. I mean, fashion. And through my my parents were very successful in what they did, so they pulled strings. And I was in Paris two weeks after living, you know, my whole life in the UK as a border. I ended up in Paris, and I to work in the fashion industry. And I worked for this very famous haute couturier, like Yves Saint Laurent, Mm. on the Champs-Elysees. I love (laughs) how you say
0: that. It sounds like, you know, you're on one of those commercials and I'm supposed to spend a $1,000 on a cologne, the way you say it. I say like (laughs) Yves Saint Laurent. Yves Saint Laurent. Yes,
1: it's Yves Saint Laurent. And it's the (laughs) Champs-Elysees. But, because I learned French. And so what I did was, I was out and I felt for three days, I felt so sorry for myself down in the dumps. And on day four, I thought, wait a minute. Girls, long hair, smoking, drinking. This is pretty cool.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Men in that field that aren't trying to compete with you. So you probably leveled the odds a little bit. And in fact, you may be able to use what women use. Well, this is exactly what as a way.
1: (laughs) So I was working. I mean, so rich people in this place I worked, they don't try clothes on. They have models try them on, and then they buy them. I mean, that's how it worked in this place. I think that's so, how Siobhan's mom always
0: worked. She'd be like, sounds, Siobhan, can very, you please try that on that Gucci? Okay, very, I'll buy that. Parisian. Six of those. You can't
3: do it uh, yourself. <laughs> I,
1: I knew I, I had to learn French. So I went to a school called the Alliance Francaise. Oh, yeah. And it was night school, right? And so I hated this. But then I realized it was full of Scandinavian girls. <laughs> so whoa, this is pretty good, you know? And, and so I started to get a whole different view on life. And I get to Paris, and one day, I wake up dreaming in French. I took all those books, and I threw them in the trash. And from that moment on, I was thinking
3: in French. How long did it take you to become fluent? Had you studied uh, French at all before arriving there?
1: No. I mean, yeah, uh, at school, you know, this is a hen. This is a pen. I mean, things like that. It was just right. like, but now I I spoke French. It was crazy. Was it one of and, those things
0: where it's like money, where you have to like put a dollar sign in front of like you know math to understand what it means? Like you had to put a chick in front of in front of the the fashion for you to understand you know French.
1: No, it, it came <laughs> to me quite easily. It, it did. And,
0: and anyway, so one day here
1: I am on the Champs Elysées, I had a lot of free time. And there was this record shop, and I loved record shops, and it was called Les Champs Disques, means the the records from the fields. The Champs Elysees means the fields of Elysees. And I walked into this this record shop, and it had masses of LPs everywhere. To me, it was heaven. And I had a pair of blue leather stack heel boots with red stars. (laughs) And if you see the film Woodstock, joe cocker's wearing the same boots and and when he's doing i get by with little help from my friends and they they came from the, the famous kensington market in london where okay. freddie
0: mercury worked by it's the way. funny you say that because the record that was behind me came from the kensington market from one of the stores somebody ran out to uh, his rolls royce and actually in 1987 had handed it that's the provenance of this record. So it's funny. Yeah, and there's he isn't there a there. lot of, isn't there an antique district around there too? It, absolutely. That's absolutely. where it was. So
1: I walk in and this guy comes up to me like, where the fuck did you get those boots? And we started a, a lifelong friendship and he was in a band and they gigged every weekend around France. And so within two weeks or three weeks of being in, in France, I was hanging out with this band every weekend and it was, sex and drugs and rock and roll straight off the bat. Amazing.
3: I mean, wow. Yeah. What luck you um,
1: had. <laughs> well, it was, but so I, uh, after a year though, I wasn't really getting anywhere in the fashion business at all. You know? Did you have any interest uh,
3: in it or was it just like a means to an end? To not do really. It,
1: yeah. it was, and, and, and I came home and my mother I had hair down on my back and I had a cigarette hanging out. And it was a time when, in, when you wore denim, you put these silver studs in it. It was very popular then, you know. And she told the uh, Skycat that that was not her son. I remember she, told me she kind of disowned me because I had a guitar on my back, hair, cigarette, the whole thing. She was horrified, you know.
0: Because Well, that I, sounds like it's the most rock and roll thing yeah. you said all day, because unless you've scared your parents, like my mom was so supportive of me that like she'd come to the heavy metal shows and sit like this. I'm like, that's not metal. Like my, my mom's like, you're, you're taking away the metal. Like you have to hate this, get angry at me. No, it was like very well uh, received and they were supportive of me and I, I can't even yeah. make up stories, unfortunately.
1: Well, uh, uh, so you know, here I am. I, I'm back in England, and and I don't know what to do. And I'm, I'm only like twenty now, I guess. And uh, and so I got a job in a in a menswear shop in London, right next to Harrods. And I got to tell you, living in London is pretty friggin' awesome. It really is. It's and a so, great city, yeah. Uh, oh my God. So it was called Austin reads and I'm working in this place. And every lunchtime I go in the little canteen with my cheese sandwich, you know, or whatever, and I'd read the melody maker or sounds or new musical express. That's all I wanted to do. And I, I, I hope you don't mind me telling you this story is how I got into music. This is like really strange, but real. And so, Um, I lived in, my parents had a muse house. A muse is where years ago in Victorian times, it's where the rich people parked their horse and cart and had cobblestones and it was a stables, but then London turned those into like luxury homes. And so my parents were lucky enough to own one. And so they said I could live there. And so I'm working at Austin Reed and I come home one day and there's a guy upstairs playing loud electric guitar. And to me, this is heaven. So I go up and knock on his door. And uh, he so goes, went I up know. the stairway to heaven. Okay. Stairway to heaven. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and knock on his door. And he says, I know, I know. it's too a, Were I'm you sorry? knocking on
0: heaven's door?
1: Oh, ben, as had as had well. To finish the story. Well, no, I went on the stairway knocking on heaven's door. That's right. <laughs> And he said, I'm sorry. I said, no, 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 no. Turn it up. He goes, what? <laughs>
3: yeah. Come I never heard that before.
1: Yeah, you're right. So I said, I play guitar too. And so next thing you know, we're playing with each other. We're jamming, right? And, um, and this was great. I was still doing my, you know, I, I was on commission in the menswear shop. So when you're being on commission, you learn to become a professional liar, <laughs> because I got well, also a pink shirt right now is extremely popular with a lime green tie. It just it's the end thing. And he goes, Well, it looks a bit big. Well, big's what's happening right now? Or if it's too tight, tight's what's happening. You know, <laughs> I mean, because you're on commission. You just lie, lie, lie. Got a bit, right? And then go back to Melody Maker, you know? And so, so there's this guy, and he says, Steve. I'm going to leaving. I'm going to find fame and fortune, and I'm going to try and be a musician. I go, oh, all right, never see him again. Great, all the best. And I go back to work. And I don't know how long this was, but one day I took the underground to Oxford Circus, and I come out, and there was eight exits to Oxford Circus. I chose the one I chose, and I walk up, and in the distance, there's a guy walking towards me. And he's got long hair, spindly legs, an Afghan coat, sunglasses, and it's not sunny, and high heel boots. And I'm looking at him, and he's looking at me. I go, wait a minute. That's the hey, – you're the guy upstairs. He goes, oh, yeah, I'm in a band. I signed a record deal, and we're playing at the Marquee Club tonight. The Marquee? The Marquee? I go, oh, my God. He said, would you like to be on the guest list? the guest list what I've never been on a guest list in my life I've hardly been to a rock concert and so he put me on the guest list I thought I'd won the jackpot I I mean and I would go down to the marquee and I'm in the dressing room it's a shithole with like but I was in heaven in heaven and I started to hang out with these guys and, and go to every concert. And they had a manager, and he was smart because he had another job as well. <laughs> and he said, Hey, Steve, we could do with a guy like you. Well, that's all I needed. And I said, I, I got to go and talk to my parents. You know, so I I got on the train, I go down there, and now my mother, don't forget, they paid for all this private tuition, this whole thing. And she says, Well, you know, if it makes you happy, dear. (laughs) And then my dad says, Well, you're young enough to fail. So why don't you do it? And I thought, dick <laughs> I know, that's really smart now yeah, but great back, advice. but that's how i took it then and so <laughs> i got the okay and i started working for this band and i think within about they were a real band with a record deal and everything within three months they broke up i'm going oh my god everybody said this would happen and so i'm sitting at home like oh the phone rings It was a legendary figure in the music business called Tony Stratton Smith, who owned Charisma Records. Charisma Records had Genesis, Monty Python, um, Lindisfarne, a lot of bands. He called me. He said, Steve, what are you doing? And I'll never forget what I said. I said, well, Tony, it's either the noose or my head in the oven. It's, it's, and Always so, look on the
0: bright side of life. That's what they told me in Monty right, Python. That's
1: right. And so he said, look, forget about that. I want to see you in my office. I'm like, oh, fuck. He's going to say, you knew this was happening. You were there. Why the fuck didn't you tell me? We spent all this money. I like, oh, my God, I was really scared, you know, and I went down to Soho where everything was going on, and I walk in there, and he's got, like, the desk with all the platinum up there, and he's got the cigar and the feet on the table. He says, sit down. I go, oh, God, here he comes. He goes, right, that band, forget about them. They were shit anyway. I go, huh? (laughs) He said, but you, I've been watching you. We could do with some fresh blood like that. And he said, I'll tell you what, you can start tomorrow. You can work here and I will pay you 50 pounds a week and you can be. And then he stopped. He said, assistant promotions manager, slave. (laughs) I walked out of there like on air. Okay. On air. And I go, my God i'm in the music business i mean this is serious stuff the next thing i know girls found me interesting unbelievable (laughs) just just like that i was doing the old gray whistle test which is a famous tv show i was going to radio i was on tour with genesis on the land lies down on broadway
0: stop there i love that record in fact our uh, the guy who's in charge of the show scott benson when i told him in 2000 when he signed my band for the first time for the first time um before i lost (laughs) him money the first time um he said do you like genesis and i said they can't dance and he's like but no i mean genesis like with peter gabriel and i was like what and he sent me that record and that was when i learned respect carpet crawlers
1: amazing so But there it was, I was doing, all. I was going to TV. I was at the first Tom Petty TV show. And here's the thing you don't hear anymore, after show parties, they had parties for everything. I mean, they, and so uh, I was doing all of this, traveling around the country. I would, I remember going to clubs with a biker jacket with no t shirt underneath it. I don't know, but it looked good at the time, I thought. And, and just, and I was drinking, I was taking drugs, I, there were women, it was crazy, but it's just what I wanted, actually. And um, that's how it began, just like that. (laughs) It's a good beginning. Basically, nothing to do with it, except I just happened to be there. You know, and that's how it all started for me. By the exit, I took at Oxford Circus tube station.
3: Wow. That's amazing it's, it's that, that you, so so much serendipity and also the fact that your parents gave you that chance to be supportive because it could have been a totally different situation if you oh, didn't yeah. get that blessing. Oh yeah, um, but it's interesting that you mentioned you know that you saw a guitar on TV and so many of our guests have said that where they have this one moment where it's their first exposure to seeing rock and roll and it's on TV or a record or something and that that just sticks in their brain that like drives yeah. them for so long until well, they end up in the industry.
1: Well, Benny will know this. Hank Marvin was in the shadows. And it was the first red Fender Stratocaster I had ever seen on TV. Although you couldn't tell it. You You couldn't tell. You couldn't tell. (laughs) It was like, could it be black? black? Could
0: it be red? That's why they called it TV yellow, because you couldn't (laughs) put white on television. But Cliff
1: Richard bought him that guitar because he was his guitarist and brought it back. It was the first Fender Stratocaster ever to be in England. And um, so I, 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 there I was, Benny, in the music business doing all of this. And it just, I was on this arc. I was just fortunate. It just started to do that. And um, I don't know. Uh, I often wonder what it might have been like if I turned left that day. I mean, I don't know. Right. Because I'm not it's good at anything else.
3: <laughs> just not. Well, it was meant to be. Yeah,
1: I, I would. There's more to that story, actually. If I may,
2: of course, may of course, be our, be our guest. So
0: he's so literally the most it. like polite. Like, may I? Do, like, I'm like. Meanwhile, like, Steve, shut up! I'm gonna talk <laughs> over you.
2: No, don't you mean shut the fuck
1: up? Let's yeah. Well, that's no, <laughs> Siobhan's line to me. That's
0: her line. That's coming up.
1: So, so his. This is. Really, when it gets into, like, insane, what I'm about to tell you next. So I'm working at Charisma Records. I'm in Soho Square. Paul McCartney's next door in his office, MPL. I mean, this is the music business. It's all going on. And one day, this Welsh guy comes into my office with a reel-to-reel tape. And he said, there's this band in Wales called Lone Star. And they're great Okay, would you listen? So I listened. I immediately heard Led Zeppelin. This was in 1975, six. I thought, oh my God. Next day, I got on a train and went to Cardiff in Wales. And I met this band. The guitar player is Paul Chapman, who I'm sure you know, who, right? So, This band blew me away. The first thing they played me was a hard rock metal version of the Beatles She Said, right? That's the one. (laughs) It blew my mind. So I thought, right, this is my chance. I can now be Peter Grant. I didn't think of anything else, except I liked all that sex, drugs, and rock and roll thing that happened with Zeppelin. I didn't really like the working part of it. But anyway, I thought, look, it will just happen because they'll be big and that's it. And then I realized, I don't know how to do a record deal. How the hell would you do that? So the general manager of Charisma Records, who just, by the way, is now Peter Gabriel's manager, lovely woman called Gail Colson. And I said to Gail, listen, Gail, I'm going to fess up I'm going to leave because I got this opportunity to manage this band. And there's a bidding war now to sign them. And I can see my chance. And if I don't do this, I'll regret it. So I said, there's only one issue. I don't know how you do a record deal. So if I take you for lunch, would you tell me? Like it was a, you know, like it's a... (laughs) It's a one sentence thing. Right. I don't know so, so she said, yeah, sure. So we went to this Italian restaurant. Now, I happen to drink rather to
0: excess in those days uh, as I well, did now, when things. you say to excess <laughs> You're in good company. What, what is that defined as? Because I feel like when Until I talk I to I Shannon it, Larkin much. <laughs> okay. And, and slash it's a different level of access. Yeah, it, it was it was that level. Okay. It's like VIP versus all access. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? i would never so, been all access. I've always been VIP because I'm a girl. I can't drink, you know, tequila.
1: Well, I was, I did everything to excess. <laughs> so Gail's there. We're, we're having our spaghetti bolognese or whatever. And I bought a little notepad, you know, like probably no bigger than this, the cell phone and a pen. And I'm writing down, I'm about to negotiate with, his name was Morris Oberstein. He, he's like Irving Azoff, this guy. And then there's me. And we're going in to negotiate the record deal. Now, the problem was that the longer the lunch went on, the more drunk I got. And when I (laughs) left, I couldn't read my notes. (laughs) It was like, what? What? Huh? I can't understand. Oh, fuck it. I'll just wing it. So I go there. And he's sitting there. And I managed to negotiate the worst deal in the history (laughs) of record deals. But did I care? Not at all. Didn't care at all. Hey, we got a record, we're there. I mean, it was like, well, I've made it (laughs) because we got this deal. Now, what happens next? This is the God's honest truth. They saw the cash tills, the registers ringing. They saw it with this band. And who did they call to produce it? Roy Thomas Baker, fresh out of Bohemian wow. Rhapsody.
2: Damn.
0: Thank you. Thank you for telling everybody that. And just so everyone knows, you're talking about the Tonka truck, which, by the way, uh, the guitar player from UFO. And as, oh, yeah. I, I, and, and as my friends know, <laughs> the wrong one. But so that, and I've showed this on the show before, but every time I have a question in the studio, I refer to Mr. Michael from UFO. So I have Lights the wrong, out. it's not the Tonka truck, the indestructible, by the way, yeah. may he rest in peace. 2020 took him as well. So cheers to the heavens. Yeah. We live but- together.
1: It t- Paul and I shared a flat in London. Anyway. Oh yeah. Oh my God. I got stories for days, Benny. So, uh, I now have the worst record deal in the history of the world. And they bring in Roy Thomas Baker. He's just, Finish Scaramouche, give me Fandango. I mean, he's like the guy right now for, from Queen. Because he's a tax exile, we are flown to Copenhagen to make the record because he can't live in, in the UK. And we're going straight on tour. That studio, this album was made, we were drinking this drink called Elephant Beer. It would fell an elephant, this stuff. It was my Carlsberg. You can't get it here. And bong pipes. That was the other like thing. The, the, the room where we recorded was a haze of, it, of smoke all the time. It was amazing <laughs> that the record got made. We made this record, and I was the tour manager as well. Even though I was the manager, I wasn't going to miss out on that fun. And um, and here, as luck would have
0: there it, there are more chicks on the road, Steve. You're very smart. You see, that's the thing that makes you as good as you are. You're anticipatory. You're strategic. You say, you say, you know what? Yes. I've <laughs> penetrated whales, but if we get on a bus, there's different chicks in different. <laughs> different I think th- 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 on. Yeah. yeah different hoes <laughs> in different area codes. You know, that's how they say it. That's the right. millennials say it. Yeah. Well. So
1: um so the records coming out and and um we're like a favorite on the John Peel radio show and John Peel was this extremely hugely influential DJ on radio on BBC Radio 1 and we did many sessions for him the record comes out and as luck would have it so did anarchy in the UK the same week oh boy yeah
0: Long, that, Mom, but we have to re- we have to preface this because a lot of the people listening, including Siobhan, may not know. Yeah, lot that of this song. I don't know. So the it, Sex Pistols' first yes. record. Yes. Punk One of the,
1: had
3: arrived.
0: Basically, anarchy in the UK was pretty much when the punk movement, like, is it like when it officially started? Was that when they blew, yeah. blew things up and it just began? Yeah, yeah. Is yeah, that official? It, it, okay. It's
1: exactly like, you know, it smells like teen spirit. It was that. So long hair, Gibson Les Pauls, low slung guitar, you know, spandex, gee, gone. It's safety pills, a pin spitting, uh, po going. And- Allen. Gigi Allen. Maybe going a little too far with that. (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll back it up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, That's too much access. Yeah. it, It was extremely poor timing because it basically kind of ruined it. I mean, it was like pretty much overnight. It was old hat, but we went on tour. The first tour I ever did with these guys was with Ted Nugent, and he was on stranglehold and cat scratch
0: fever and he was wearing the no loincloth uh, <laughs> weird guy, by the way. <laughs> oh, I've seen him talk. Yeah. That's about the, the least favorite thing of mine of his. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, the best thing I found out about him is he doesn't even sing that song. So when I hear it, I don't have to think no, of I'm listening Derek to Ted Nugent's voice. Yeah, no, it's Yeah. It's Derek St. Holmes. Yeah. You know, so we,
1: but, but, we find those you basically I'm or. doing all of, of this. And again, I'm about to tell you something which, again, I had nothing to do with, but it's the next building block in what my history. And so my apartment was basically party central. I mean, it was all going on in there. And it was on January the 1st, must have been about 78. And the night before was way over, you know, we were all out of it. And there's a knock on the door on like January the second and like I stagger to the door like oh and there's a guy there an American guy with a chauffeur and he goes hey kid you look like the farms, this guy <laughs> and he said my name is Abe Hawk and I run Swan Song Records for Led Zeppelin heard of him you know by the way, when we did our TV show, the first time we did a TV show, Robert Plant came down to see what all the fuss was about this band that was a new Led Zeppelin. So he said, listen, kid, I've heard about you. I like you. But you're way out of your depth. He said, I'll tell you what, I got an idea. I've just done a deal with John Reed, who manages Queen and Elton John. And we have these incredible offices in Mayfair. Don't get Queen and Elton John. Nobody I, yeah. Uh, yeah
0: a lot I of cocaine between those two the, those two a lot. And that He's was around the jazz the jazz record. So if you went to that that party, you probably I'm amazed you're alive. Yeah, uh, me
1: too. And <laughs> so so he said, "Look, I don't want to deal with all the bullshit of the band. So listen, you and I can be like partners. I'll." you know, run the show, but you just make it happen. And I go, oh, okay. Okay. (laughs) Sounds okay to me. And now I'm in Mayfair, there's Queen, there's Elton John and there's Lone Star. And this is the height of like, you know, it's like the top of the heap right here. And there again, I'm just part of it. I had, it's crazy. Were you
0: there? So I have to ask you this now because I'm a, I'm a huge Queen fan. Uh, there, yeah. It's legendary the release party for the jazz record. Uh, oh, I don't, in Louisiana? Uh, the, well, I don't know where it was. All I know is that they never the even played the record. Yeah, yeah they New never Orleans. played the record supposedly because appa- apparently uh, Freddie Mercury had hired like midgets giving midgets, cocaine yeah. out in, in the bathrooms. It's on the and then yeah. um, whores to suck you off if, if you were yeah. there. And then. Uh, riverboat uh, uh,
1: in New can Orleans. You talk, were you at
0: that party? No, I was not, but I heard all about it. <laughs> so what What's that phone call like, Steve?
1: The, the phone call
0: after, after that party. Like, how did you hear about? It? Like, what was that like in 1978?
1: Well, it was it was basically like um, it, hedonistic. It was like the it was nobody heard of anything that out there. It was just excess times
0: ten. They didn't um, play the record at the record release party. They didn't even play uh, it. No, it was just, it was all about sex and drugs and it, it it was a different
1: time. You know, I mean, we would go to parties and there was cocaine openly done on the tables in restaurants. It's crazy when I look back on it. Now, here's the thing, right? So I was at so many like legendary concerts living in London. The very first New York dolls show at the Bieber fashion shop in kensington next to the kensington justin Market. bieber was there <laughs> no b it was called bieber b-i-b-a oh i thought you were talking a, about somebody big no they had a they had a restaurant on the top called the rainbow rooms and the new york dolls played their very first show there and i was there and um it there was so many things that i was part of that happened i was at the very first guns and roses show in
0: london ever was it? did, the did they go on on time mm-hmm. Like, um, did, did Axel go? Like, were they supposed no. to be on an eight and like they went on an eight, like 50 or something? Like, yeah, I'm
2: sure this <laughs> is just for Axel. I didn't know if it was
0: a trend from the beginning.
2: <laughs>
1: no, but it was, it was, there was so much going on in London in those days, and I was part of all of this. Now, Aerosmith, we'd heard about them, you know, Boston band, a lot of um scarves and ripping <laughs> off Mick Jagger, and um, but you know, I was in the circuit, I went to all the The parties and shows. And so I'm going to the Hammersmith Odeon to see Aerosmith, see what this is all about. Of course, my band is on CBS or Columbia, as it was called, and so are they. So I get invited to the party afterwards. And the show was pretty good. You know, they were, it was like back in the saddle time, you know, it was. And so a guy comes up to me, their tour manager, and goes, Hey, listen, I'm looking for some blow. I mean do you um know anybody i said yeah 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 and so um, we went into the men's room right as one does with a a, a um one of them one and uh and we were doing this and the person who will remain nameless Couldn't walk properly afterwards. And so he was in the middle. The tour manager was on one side of him and I was on the other. The toilet door opens and the press are there going, oh, look, it's. And not one of my more my better days, but um, that actually happened.
0: Is this why Joe Perry still sleeps in his leather pants so if he ever gets caught doing anything <laughs> that he can make sure he looks like a rock star? Because if one thing I learned from Paul it's a Geary smart move. is that he said that one time he came and downstairs and it was 9 a.m. and Joe Perry was cooking him breakfast and that he was still had all the chains and like the open pants. <laughs> oh, yeah, and he was like, Joe, do you ever not do this? He's like, I'm going to one time show up with like my pajamas with Johnny Depp somewhere and they're going to flash cameras. So like. It sounds to me like it's very important to always be wearing your leather pants and your he, blue boots with your stars because you'd never know when you're gonna come out of a bathroom stall you know, with Steven Tyler uh, fucked up. He, but you're right. And, and there are two people I know he that are always it.
1: ready to go on stage. Yeah, I just did. Mm-hmm. Rudolf Schenker, because I used to tour manage the Scorpions. That guy, always ready to go on stage. Don't matter when it is, where it is, he's ready. Just put a flying V in his hand, he's there. Um, Joe is another guy. Michael
0: Shanker might get mad at you for saying that because he got mad at Rudolph for taking that flying V and using it with the scorpions and getting more famous with it than him. Did he not? Uh, Well,
1: yes. But uh, do you like
0: scorpions? I mean, is it a joke? No, I love the scorpions. I love it for love it for sting. Like uh, literally. Okay. The scorpions for me. uh, When I first heard the scorpions on the radio was the first time. I think I actually sat down and said, what the fuck is that guitar and that's i mean i've been yeah. listening to queen and aerosmith and all like i hadn't got to the van halen or whatever, but i think that was the first time i think it, maybe it was um maybe it was like a rocky like a hurricane or something like that but like as a seven-year-old
2: yeah. i actually internalized that, that was, sounds that was hard. the first time i heard the harmonized guitars that like kind of was yeah like, yeah, yeah that's yeah, a that's cheating. a th- that's a thing that's the craziest uh, sound I've ever. It's the most insane. I, I have no Two in the world. people play. You know, it's 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 just such a mind blowing concept when you first hear. You know well, that, like you said, "rocky like a hurricane" leads and stuff like wow. that. Uh,
1: you know, it's it's funny, guys. Um, when I look back on the, we used to get together and to play music. We'd go to people's homes and listen to albums, and I kind of miss all that. It was something. It's gone. That that that, that thing that yeah. we had. You know? Um mm-hmm. listen and to me one
0: of my patients joys Oh people don't have the patience to listen to a record. Yeah, I, mean, o- I mean I mean honestly, is. it's usually this like, oh, that's the song. That's the song I'm bored by. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like like my 15-year-old that lives upstairs. She comes down and she'll play Careless Whisper by George Michael. And I'm like, you like George Michael? And she's like, who? She just knows <laughs> no. songs. She knows songs. So she can sing Tears for Fears. Yeah. But you know, only one Tears for Fears song. And then she knows Tommy Two-Tone or something crazy. But Tommy only G-S1? songs. No. And, and, and you knew that you had to go buy the record back in the day. You had to listen through all the other shit. To get to the song that you do and sometimes you'd even find other stuff that was even better than this song and i that's Mm -hmm. completely lost on this generation which is also why i'm wearing this shirt which i throw out to john mamone who's of prison mind because this is his fuck millennial shirt because (laughs) someone's probably watching and they don't get it but this is the doors and it says eagles hotel california but it's meant to heckle all the millennials that just listen to songs and not yes
1: well, you're to me. I used to love a. I had a bean bag, a great big bean bag, and a bong pipe, <laughs> and headphones. Oh, to me, I'd sit there with Dark Side of the Moon, just like. Uh. I mean, it was great. Uh, music was was different then. It just we listened to it, you know. We dissected it. We uh, we talked about it, you know. It just.
2: Fun time, Steve. Listening to you talk for the for the past forty minutes is, first of all, wildly entertaining, and uh, it's it's crazy because you're describing- Siobhan actually it, texted
0: just, me to tell us how entertaining it was. You're
2: <laughs> describing a world that I feel like we have missed out on, and so it's it's oh, this, yeah. it's this, you know, we're all in the music industry to some extent, Shavon more so than some other, others on this call, but but the the stories that you're that you're telling and the experiences you've had are this mythological like, yeah, era, like era that will never study. happen again because now you go backstage at a show we talk about this all the time and and people are just you know having energy and on their checking their phones and maybe you know like just texting well, their- well imagine if you go to a bathroom <laughs> now
0: and say i want to do cocaine on a toilet seat they're gonna be like did you wipe it down with lysol like does it have covid on it can i do this fish scale cocaine on this or is this going to give me something like will i not be able to taste anything beyond the cocaine come down
3: Right. Oh,
1: my God. You know, I, I um, ended up um, man, tour managing a band called Cinderella. <laughs> yeah. And um, we did this tour with Bon Jovi on Slippery When Wet. Talk about big. It was like the circus coming to town. And that, when I think about it, that will never be recreated because there was no MTV. There was no nothing, right? And so all the fans had is to wait to see it live it was the talk of the town and that's gone that was and because you know rock stars were not like normal people they did not breathe the same air uh and you didn't know about them and the only way you could know about them is to go and see them when once a year maybe you didn't get to see pictures of them and know everything. I think you're, like you're bringing them. up a well, very good point. Well,
3: accessible now, yeah, with social well, you, media. I mean, everyone you can find immediately.
0: Well, that's the thing. Is So a lot of people on the show have told us like back in the day they'd go see a band and it was like their only exposure to that and that they were like space aliens. Like, holy crap, that band's in town. And I remember, you know, even going in and I, I know you were with the band at the time, going to see a band like Megadeth when I was younger and being like, oh my God, they're in the building and that's what they look like and that's their real hair and they have pics on stage and that's the set list and now you can just see read people's tw- tweets and their instagrams and see what you know dj yeah. khaled ate for breakfast and then you like you find out so much information about people that like this has been demystified as far yeah. as like is ozzy Osbourne creepy no ozzy's actually at the gym right now at planet fitness yeah. and he's promoting like vitamin water so he's not hanging upside down with bats anymore
1: you can see the inside of their homes. It's up on Hello! magazine. You know what I mean? They, these, it, it's so different because those guys were untouchable, like Motley Crue when we toured with those guys. They were godlike in a way to me. Van Halen. I mean, I'll never forget on that beanbag, this first Van Halen record came out and then it was dum, 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 dum. Oh my God. I, it was like, what is this? You must remember it. First time you heard oh, that? Oh, yeah,
0: Running with the Devil. Yeah. 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 In fact, Blew I actually mind. remember the story of how Megadeth started, because it's very similar to your story, was that actually uh, Dave Mustaine heard David Ellison playing. Dent, 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 or something like that. One of them had heard the other one. And yeah. then they went back and they're like, You're playing Van Halen. It's that's unmistakable. And that's how so many people meet, and that's one of those things that I feel like is lost now because true. I remember when I was in high school I would wear my Iron Maiden shirt and you would see other people with Iron Maiden shirts and you'd give each other the look like you're part <laughs> of the, the team. And now it's like seventeen year old girls that have gone to H and M and that week somebody in Bangladesh decided to put the <laughs> Iron Maiden logo on something and because she's so hot, true. like I'm like Whoa, dude, you like maiden? And she's like, what do you mean? And it's like, it's the shirt you're wearing. Oh, my boobs? I'm like, ah. Oh, oh. <laughs> I thought you liked Bruce. It's, it's And then one day so I have a much. dream where they say, No, I actually like Paul Diano. I'm like, I love you. And that's why oh, I'm engaged. Paul Diano. No, I'm just kidding. Ah. Well, the fact you know, that they'd even know who the first singer of Iron Maiden is would be impressive. I,
1: well, I I can tell you what, guys living in london i was so lucky to see every band you could ever think of i saw the first time dark side of the moon was performed you know was that the, the quadraphonic
0: uh, the sound era
1: Yep. Absolutely. We were, i have to
0: ask you this because i was having an argument online today the grateful dead wall of sound yes or the pink floyd quadraphonic sound which was better Well, I never
1: saw Grateful Dead because I didn't get it. I never understood it. But I did see um, Pink Floyd, and I thought it was incredible. And one of the things they did that night, they had a a Second World War plane called a Spitfire that was rigged up on, on pulleys, and it would fly across the audience and arrive at the back of the stage and explode. I mean, crazy lights and Oh,
3: wow.
1: Those are the days to see, you know, I, I, I saw Led Zeppelin more times I can remember. John Bonham, no drum riser, no drum riser at the Royal Albert Hall.
0: I think I mean, my favorite thing was when I heard Glenn Hughes tell me about how John Bonham tried to kill him. Do you remember that? You I Did he ever do. tell you I, that? Yes, he did. <laughs> I I, I I think he has it in a, in a book I think he might have written it in his biography but as Siobhan has alluded to on other episodes I don't read but I do remember Glenn Hughes telling me that while they yeah, were yeah. filming the song Remains the Same that I think he was fucking Angie or something you know the song Angie mm. or staying with David Bowie or something and I guess what happened was uh, he shows up Uh, John Bonham shows up after Deep Purple was playing at the stage door has Glenn Hughes get into a a limo and then holds a gun against him and and basically accuses him of fucking his girl. He's like, no dude, I'm not fucking your girl, I'm fucking someone else's girl but it's not your (laughs) girl, I promise you. And then they got so fucked up that literally, I think it was Robert Plant and Jimmy Page had to come find (laughs) him passed out at Glenn Hughes's place to make sound check the next night, which is also why I maintain that the song Remains the Same is not the best live album from Led Zeppelin.
1: No, no, no. You just reminded me of something. I first, the first time I ever came to America, and this was like a dream for me, the idea of coming to America to tour was kind of like winning the lottery, it was like heaven. You know, and, um, and this is a really funny story. And this shows how naive and innocent I was about world touring. And so I was part of the new wave of British alternative bands. Um, and my first band that I tour managed was called 999. And they were, uh, I was in Boston a lot. We played like every club in Boston that you can think of you know, and they were, the agent was Ian Copeland. Now his brother plays drums in the police and his other brother managed them, Miles Copeland. You probably heard of these And guys, Stuart
0: right? Copeland.
1: Stuart Copeland, that's right. So there was a number of tour managers and we did all of these bands. They were all signed to FBI, Frontier Booking International. And it's because their dad was in the CIA. So they had these like, Names FBI, CIA, that's what they did. So <laughs> I would come over to America with all these bands. Like I brought uh, the psychedelic furs, and I bought 999, I bought the members. I, I was like the, one of the regulars to do this. And so you're like before, the drug smuggler of drug induced like rockers. Pablo Escobar of Tour <clears throat> matches, yes. <laughs> and, and so the first date was in. Um, was on the East Coast, and I didn't know how to rent a van or anything. So I called Ian Copeland and said, Ian, uh, I didn't want to look green. So I tried to pretend I kind of understood. But he said, there's this great company in Elizabeth, New Jersey. They're terrific for vans. In those days, the gear went in the back, the luggage, the road crew, and I was the driver. That's how we did it in those days. And you just like hardly had days off. So I got the van. And we did the tour three months long, and it ended at the Santa Monica Civic. Three months later, and it was terrific. And Los Angeles was like heaven to me. You know, it was for all the kind of wrong reasons, I guess, but I loved it. Sunset Marquee. I mean, that's where I was. Finish the tour. Call up the van company <coughs> in Los Angeles and go. Hey there. Hey, it's Steve Wood. Um, the tour's over. Where, where do you, you want me to drop the van? The you know, thinking this is like Avis Hertz or whatever. He goes, what do you mean? Where do you drop the van? He said, here. Go, what do you mean here? He goes, Elizabeth, New Jersey. I go, what? I'm in Los Angeles. Oh, he no. goes, so? I'm like, oh, true story. And so I went, oh my God. Um, so I bribed a sound engineer. I said, dude, I am really fucked up here. I need some help. I said, I'll pay you. W- would you do the drive with me? And he goes, uh, well, all right. And this is a day when you could change air tickets, you know, mean, remember you change air tickets. So I said, look, I'll do the first 700 miles. You do the next 700, uh, I'll fill up, you get the burgers, and we're just going to go in one. And we did it in 49 hours. And by the time I got to Pennsylvania, I hated his guts. (laughs)
0: Like,
1: I mean, like, I never wanted to see him ever again.
0: Hold on. Can we pause for one moment? You I feel like anytime I've ever gotten to Pennsylvania, it makes me hate everybody that I'm with. Is that just a Pennsylvania thing? Or Siobhan, anytime, you should know that. In a,
3: anytime you're in a car longer than 25 well, minutes, I think yeah, that's the case. I, okay, guy with like, <laughs>
0: And so we stayed
1: at the Holiday Inn on West 57th. He wanted to go to bed. Not me. I called up a guy. I got something to help me stay awake and went to Haraz. It this, uh And I'm out. And then it was, you wake up in the morning and go, oh, who are you? You know, <laughs> that was the way it went in those days. <laughs> that's like, those
0: days? But, yeah. Isn't well, it now still? I feel like that's still a now thing.
3: Well, I don't know It's not know as anymore. mainstream, probably. It, it's
1: it's way mean, easier. It's way it easier. You, it was before you knew you could die doing that. That was <laughs> we <were> lucky <laughs> we didn't know you
0: about that. You can die stuff. doing these things? that's good to know yeah
1: it was before the age i'm gonna thing write happened. i'm gonna write that uh, down yeah but um it was uh but that really happened i really you know did that journey and um yeah uh, um, unbelievable and and right after that i ended up with saxon and i remember i mean i'm sure you know saxon right of course have, and i thought you know i need a metal band that's what i want that, and so they're more my speed. I need yeah, sexy. yeah. I need that. I want that. And so uh, I ended. Their manager was a complete and utter crook, but a gentleman crook. He's dead now. He, he managed Morrissey for a long time. His wife had the money, and she um, was part of the Asprey family, which uh, are the jewelers to the Queen. Okay, and so he was a gentleman. Crook, no question about it, but he managed uh Saxon, and to him, Saxon were a bunch of commoners because he was all he went shooting on the weekend. Well, well so did, what,
0: wouldn't you say that they're more like plebeians? <laughs> and yes. he would be, yeah, 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 yeah right, exactly, and exactly. he, yeah, because that'd be more of a feudalistic yeah. thing because we're talking Europe, right? So, I'm yeah, just trying to get, yeah, yeah,
1: that's right. And uh, I remember the first show I did, uh, this is what I really wanted, uh, and I got Saxon. And the first show was in Toronto and I was on the side of the stage and I caught the flu and I had like a temperature of 103. I thought I was dying and they're playing at a thousand decibels with pyro and explosions. I'm going, Oh my God, this is what I asked for. I mean, I thought I, thought I was dying, but had a lot of fun with those guys. <laughs> Cigarettes
0: and cups of tea. That was what Saxon was about. <laughs> That's me and Biff Byford. Is that, is, that, is that what metal is? Is cigarettes and tea? It was for those guys. You know, I yeah. swear to God. So let me ask you, know, you this. You've, you've, you've worked with a lot of metal bands. I mean, yeah. in fact, I will, you know, before the end of this episode, I will I will tell a story. The, in fact, I'll I, I found this quick. out years later um, that I actually had met Steve Wood because um, I... Dan Hartwell, who we had on the show, threw a show called the Big Field Day for WAAF back in the day. He had Megadeth come um, to play, and he—I had worked some of his shows, and he. This was the first show that he was like Benny. Now I'm going to make you in charge of Megadeth. You get them what they need. Don't ask for autographs. Don't bother them. Leave them alone. And Pick if the they want to hang out with you, they'll let I you write, know. Right, wrong guy. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like great he gives me a pass the first thing I do is I walk right in the room and apparently Megadeth was trying to practice oh, a song called crush because they were going to shoot oh, the video the that day song. it was yeah. for the wrestler right so they're nice. literally in like a circle. It's Marty Freeman. It was yeah, Jimmy yeah, DeGrasso yeah. on drums at this moment yeah. because yeah. I was, so yeah. I know you were there. And I remember walking in and seeing Dave Mustaine. And I didn't even think about the fact that they were all in a circle doing things. I just made a beeline right to him. Yeah. And he literally goes, Ouch! <laughs> Ouch! And Steve gets up and like he's like escorts me nicely because I'm like 16 or 17. So I'm at a young enough age where it's like, you know, He doesn't know better. Maybe he's been sniffing glue. We don't know. And they removed him. But then later, I'm still backstage because I was friends with the promoter and I'm sitting there like looking at them from afar, like sniffling. And Dave Mustaine being the chivalrous, you know, deep hearted person that he clearly is, sees me and he comes (laughs) up and he goes, I didn't mean that. I was just practicing we're about to shoot a video. Do you play guitar? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, do you want to meet Marty Friedman? (laughs) Yes. And he brought me over and I asked for everyone's autographs. And like, I walk away and I hear him going, I know what that is to this other 15 year old who has an inside out Metallica shirt on. And I'm like, (laughs) oh my God, I walk off. And then of course I see Dan Hartwell and he's like, you didn't listen to me. (laughs) <laughs> and that was my first experience with Steve Wood was him literally escorting me out of the uh, backstage area to which I was supposed to be running, but I'm too much of a moron to realize I feel that like Megadeth was people, playing a song.
2: There's several people we've talked to who, who your first experience with them was them escorting you out or yelling <laughs> at you. Jason Lettberg, our marketing Maddie. guy, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. actually kicked
0: me <laughs> right. out of the backstage area of Steel Panther. So a yeah. thing, it's, here's it's a thing here. It's a thing. Well, you
1: know, yeah. I've always learned through... Uh, through tour management, there's an expression in England, you attract more flies with honey than with vinegar. God knows why that is, but I get it. (laughs) And I would try to do that. And um, I've always prided myself on trying to be a good guy, you know, because I have boiled down the essence of successful tour management. And I'll tell it to you right now. The essence is, is for me, to get you to do my bidding with a smile on your face. That is what tour management
0: is. Isn't that just that a really simple plebeian way of saying neuro-linguistic programming? I'd have to look that up.
3: <laughs> well, it's, not, <laughs> no. it's, a, it's subliminal manipulation, yes. but- Neuro-linguistic uh, programming on, yes. Steve. This is what you've been
0: doing your entire life is when you change the frame and make your idea projected at someone else and make them think it's their idea and you actually get things out of them by reversing their mental frame. Yeah, it's called (laughs) neuro-linguistic programming. They use it for for, manipulation.
2: Ben had to get his polysyllabic word in for the episode. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I used to use it all the time. Listen, on on that note, guys, we're coming to the end of hour one with Steve. Wow, really? Yeah. Yeah, Dude, Steve, you are literally, like,
0: you're the only person that I have, I've, I've just been sitting here so and ina- <laughs> like we've had so many people on the show and i i have no attention span whatsoever and
2: yeah, i'm just sitting ben here the paying whole time yeah really
3: close attention which is unusual what i, what I, I like say. is
2: is your partners with uh, with paul geary and he had a yes. he had a similar strategy a of similar, just yeah. he's going to tell us exactly what we want to hear and everything that our audience needs to hear and we can just sit paul's back and dignitary. enjoy
0: paul's a dignitary he's way yeah. he's he's way too much of uh, of a a gentleman that never tells, but like, I know what kind of creature Paul is. Well, That's I'm, not transparent. Yeah,
2: I meant more in the, in the, in the way that, that, I know what you meant. Prompt. I just turned it into a Paul thing. Yeah, we didn't have to prompt you for anything. That was a, an incredible story. I would love in the next episode if we could dive a little more behind the curtain of what, what you're doing nowadays and sure. and, and, and yeah, how, more about how, how the world of a tour manager really works. I think that would be absolutely well, fascinating. I,
1: I want to tell you, when you just mentioned Paul. Paul and I have been working together since 2002. And although we met years ago when Cinderella Extreme and David Lee Roth were touring,
0: Oh my and God. I
1: it's would see story. him every day. And to my surprise, I thought Extreme was two guys because I saw the video. Yeah. I didn't realize <laughs> the guy reading the comic was in the yeah. band. I,
0: mean,
1: I, <laughs> I didn't. I, uh, like, who are these two guys? But um, we've been together ever since. And, and the reason we have been together so long, and this is the God's honest truth, that we have an expression in England. You don't hire a guard dog and then do the barking yourself. And Paul is smart enough to allow me to do what I do and I let him do what he does. And I can boil it down to this. The reason we work so well, he says where we're going and I help get us there. And that works for us a good partnership it really does well yeah. if you
0: guys really are ying to a yang it's kind of like Corey and i because yeah. Corey hates every moment of being with me but he knows <laughs> that my personality gets the full range of emotions from people well, he doesn't show it no we
1: well, to- he does very but good it, at is, you know, it.
0: it takes a long time <laughs> of manipulation to understand the drinking. truth yeah he's very <laughs> subtle about it and he's also he knows that this is going to lead to something so like he's optimistic about the future for the first time oh, probably- he loves you
1: you know that the
0: point is is that paul is so demure And I feel like you and I are more kindred spirits. We're like, okay, we can talk about this. And that said, everyone subscribe to 2020-D.com. Check out Steve Wood later this week telling us things so we can actually try to emulate your awesomeness. Because I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed cathartically, vicariously, living through whatever that just was. Because that was amazing. (laughs) So stick around, guys, oh, for next you. week or later You've this week. Or I don't even know what it. Is. Whatever. You've been twenty twenty. Bye.
2: Thank you, as always, for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-D.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 36 featuring Paul Geary, artist manager and former drummer of Extreme. Check it out. And here I am managing Joe Perry, and I was
1: at his home... And we were flying to New York together the next day on a helicopter from Massachusetts. And so he goes, hey, so let's, you know, meet for breakfast about nine o'clock and then we'll head for the thing. And I said, OK. So in the morning I get up, I take a shower, I go into the kitchen. And this Joe cooking eggs at nine o'clock
2: and he's totally Joe perry Like, he's got no shirt on, but, like, he's got all his chains (laughs) on and his his shit and his, and these, you know, the the pants that are, you
1: know, leather cut and (laughs) open. And I'm going, do you ever wake up and look in the mirror and say, fuck, I'm Joe Perry?